Welcome to the Weird Warriors podcast. On this podcast, we will be discussing the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. I'm Max. I'm Rich. And on this episode, we will be taking a look at Weird War Tales number five. But first bit of retroactive history a segment that we will use to address unfinished business from previous episodes so i believe rich has an item yes indeed uh the ad that we that i looked at last time was for the masculiner company with which is i had a really hard time getting myself through because it was talking all about you know mustaches and sideburns and van dykes and send a sample of your hair and we'll match the hair color and blah 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 and it was just the funniest damn thing i I think i'd read all week and i had to see if i could find anything on this company online and unfortunately just like i couldn't find anything on the canadian height bureau or whatever the hell it was I couldn't find anything on the masculine company's fake mustaches. So, dang. So, hey, if anyone else out there can can find any information on that, hey, drop us a line. (laughs) Okay, so issue five of Weird War Tales was... May, June, 1972. It's the fifth mind-boggling issue. Yes, and it was on sale March 23rd, 1972. As you said, they've continued the Stan Lee-like Marvel fanfare of the mind-boggling issue, you know, in, in his tradition of pulse-pounding and senses-shattering. Soul-scratching. Yeah, exactly. In <laughs> <laughs> tickling issues and whatnot. So, yeah, just why don't you go ahead and uh, go on with the cover detail for people. Okay, well, it's still uh, 52 big pages that don't take any less for only 25 cents. It's... Uh, portrays the a hooded american soldier that is about to be hung by the germans and he's thinking they think they're hanging me but and right next to the hooded american soldiers is as, as a, a ghostly outline of his double who thinks but they're not so he it's a, the guy's going to get hung but he's not going to get hung and interesting interesting cover you know yeah, they're gonna Cuba. hang uh they're gonna hang part of him yeah, <laughs> part that's got the rope around his neck. Anyway, yeah. and, you know, physical part. As we've, you know, as is always the always the way here. Uh, you know, Joe Kubert uh, did the uh, ass kicking art on the cover. Just lunge right into the kill, the killjoy was here for uh, just like uh, last time they got the name tapes reversed. They got the name tapes reversed on on this one also because the army is supposed to be over your heart because you still love the army. You got anything else you want to throw at this real quick or? Yeah, I think um, for this cover, you know, I, I really dig, um, obviously, Joe Kubert's art on it, but the disembodied spirit leaving the soldier's body and Neil Adams's name being <laughs> obviously referred to. Oh. I'm thinking it's a nod to Neil Adams's Dead Man stories, which he didn't start out as the artist on those. I think it was Infantino. Um, but he certainly did take over the art for Dead Man and became the artist identified with the character. And those were published in the late 60s, so not too much before here. So I'm pretty sure we have a Neil Adams and Dead Man nod going yeah, that on. Was, which... That was going to be my, my commendation because you know, the, 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 the soldier has N. Adams you know, on, on, his, on his uniform. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, there's no way in hell that that's not a jab at Neil Adams. It, 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 just, it just has to be. Yeah, so right away, this, you know, the cover that has me going, 
you know, from jump. So I'm, I'm ready for a pretty good issue at this point. So the first thing we get to, speaking of, you know, you say business as usual, Joe Kubert cover, I'm jumping in ready for another framing sequence that is, you know, going to be all by Joe. And what do we get instead? We get a framing sequence that is not done by Joe. <laughs> Gasp! Yeah, it's called The Prisoner. Written by Bob Haney, art by Alex Toth. And uh, the synopsis is a GI comes to in the rubble of an Italian village. Freezing in the winter cold and his uniform destroyed by an explosion, he puts on the clothes of a dead civilian and is captured by the Germans. Despite multiple attempts to explain, he is sentenced to death as a spy by hanging. In his cell, he dreams of escape. And the way the framing sequence starts, I mean, just boom. I mean, Haney just lunges right into it. The first sentence, December 1944, Northern Italy, like powdered quicklime on the corpses of the war dead, winter snows blanket the gutted ruins of a small village. I mean, that is, that's a hell of a way to start like any story <laughs> really is, but especially a war book. Yeah, I was, I was kind of blown away by this. Not just because when you open it up, it's it's not business as usual. It's not Qbert on Qbert, and we're off and running. This is Bob Haney, who again I I have quite an affection for um, for a lot of his um, Brave and the Bold writing. But we also have Alex Toth, who is an amazing artist who just didn't do a huge body of work in in companies like DC Comics. But his his skills are right hitting you in the face on that first page. Like his just design sense. Again, not only are are his drawings great, but the way he uses a page is just amazing. Like um, you know, much like a. Glansman, right? With the um, uh, the Stevens stories, with all that white space on his pages, this page not only has white space, but it has these bits of shouted dialogue that look like sound effects in the gutters. And, you know, in a lesser artist's hands, this would be a mess. But instead, it's it pulls you right in. That These snapshot moments and the floating panels just make everything feel intense. And you get you know, more traditional panels on the second page, but then on the end of the third page, the soldier in his jail cell holding on to the bar and looking out the outside world and the snow drift piling up. It's just, again, it's like this white space eating up the bottom of the page and that's the snow drift piling up outside of his cell. It's just incredible stuff to, yeah, to be I, hit with. I like the last panel in the framing sequence when the GI is, is just clinging to the bar. Just the, just the look in his eyes is just pure desperation. He's just like, oh my God, there's got to be a way out of this. That, that, that is panic on this guy's face. It's, it's just... That's that's fear personified. He's like, how do I get out of this? That that he he nailed that. You know, the, that that look of sheer terror on someone that's trying to figure out how to survive. Yeah, Toth is just a a master illustrator. He he worked on. Um, I have one book on his um his time in the animation field where he worked on stuff like oh you know Space Ghost and Johnny Quest things you may have heard of. But just his his ability to do like a lot of detail and expression with not that many lines. Like he's not super over rendering things you know his, his individual drawings can kind of look simple but what he lays down every line is it's there for a purpose and it's just such a cool effect like you said he he gets that utter look of terror across so easily in that panel so we're off to quite the start with just uh what's this three pages of a you know, beginning framing sequence story so let's see what we follow that up with that is gonna be our first full-length story of the issue this one is called 
the toy jet it's reprinted from the last story in all american men of war 78 from march 1960 this is also written by Bob Haney, and with art by someone we've mentioned before, a guy named Russ Heath. A few times. He's, yeah. He's yeah. a poser. <laughs> and we, we may have mentioned him. We, we kind of like the guy. So the synopsis of this story, and this is kind of a long one, this um, involves an American jet fighter pilot and is brought down by Flack in Korea and is captured by the Chinese. He's extensively interrogated, but refuses to crack. He finds a piece of wood, carves a toy jet out of it, and starts playing with it. The Chinese and even his fellow prisoners, who are planning an escape but don't want to include him in their plans because this guy has clearly cracked and is playing with a toy plane that he carved, they all think he's gone round the bend. Seeing how much he loves the toy, the Chinese CO gets the idea that maybe taking him to see a real jet will get him talking. Off they go to an airfield, and as soon as they're next to a real MiG, the pilot snaps out of it grabs the CEO's pistol and holds him hostage until he can commandeer a jet. He takes off, two enemy MiGs go after him, and he shoots him down. Then he flies back to the POW camp and blasts the guard tower so the POWs can escape. As he flies off, he drops the toy jet down on them so they know who helped them escape. So that's a whole lot of action in one story. And um, I'm going to get back to uh, the whole thing about the toy jet and how that ties into our framing sequence. But first, I want you to hit us with um, anything from the original comic, if you have it. Yep, that I do. And it's quite often the case, but they'll, they'll take off the lead-in from the original so they can create a lead-in from the reprint. The reprint lead-in shows the soldier that's being held captive is all like, a gun, if I could carve a gun, then I could escape. Like that GI who carved the toy jet. Yeah, well, okay, fine. But you no, know, I like, as is quite often the case, I think they could have done very well with what was in the original book. Because in the original book, it's, uh, the, the, the original starts off with, it was only a crude wooden carving of a plane, but the fallen pilot fought for it with his last ounce of life. Why? Read this sky-blasting story of the toy jet. I'm like, yeah, well, as usual, the original, I like the original better, even though they're trying to incorporate the story into the the framing sequence. Yeah. And yeah, I got the the whole kill. I got lunge in the killjoy was here right off the get go because, you know, the the header works in the reprint for about a second. If I can only carve a, a toy jet. It's like, yeah, okay, that's great because you're a World War II prisoner and this story takes place about seven years in the future in Korea. So yeah, you know all about that. Okay. <laughs> Fail. Prison prison does things to the mind, man. Time is a flat circle. Oh, man. I'm like, I, I, I hate it when I catch stuff like that. It's like, come on, man. Geez. Yeah, they didn't work too hard. They didn't think too hard about that. Again, they're, they're probably thinking their audience for these books is on average from 10 to 12 years old. So, you know, it's more about hitting the deadline and like there i came up with a sentence that links them together go yeah looking back at this stuff and then reading the letters pages the audience was older than they might have been aiming for so i wonder if we're going to see a letter that points this kind of stuff out in future apo sections that'll be cool to keep our eyes out for but is any is anyone else killjoying them in the past (laughs) well probably i mean if any comic book that has at letters page, there's always someone writing in going, wrong, 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 wrong. There's always somebody that's going to try to find something that just irritates the hell out of them, whether it, it realistically should or not. Yeah, I look forward to it because uh, this stuff is in print. It's not some stupid Facebook post or tweet that you got to worry about accidentally interacting with. You can, just, <laughs> you can just read this almost, what, 50-year-old jerk's comment in a letters page and go, eh, eh. 
I wonder how, you know, Joe dealt with that. <laughs> Whoever the editor in question was. But yeah, this is like, again, I mean, as usual, like, you know, the combinations as usual, Heath kills it. You know, MiG-15s, F-86s are spot on. You know, the haunted facial expressions of a caged eagle looking at the planes overhead. This 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 was my favorite story in the issue. I, it was just the way everything is, is crafted. Heath's art, you know, the way the aircraft is superimposed over, you know, the caged eagle's face as, he, as he's you know, looking at what the sky guys that's just a good story I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this one oh yeah this this one read even in the synopsis when i was just rereading it now it's it's like an action movie in a handful of pages this packs it all in there and um you know it's not that weird but again these early issues aren't going to be they're not going to be like later on when it's the creature commandos and dinosaurs and vampires all over the place this is whatever they had on hand for the most part and it's still you know it's still weird that a guy escaped being a pow because he carved a toy plane and pretended to have lost it so that's cool but yeah it, it is packed in man it, it's got tons of action it's it's got great art my thing that stood out to me was on the seventh page of this story in panel two we've got this caged eagle as they call him uh the prisoner who has now used his toy to take to the skies and you know and they're chasing him down and just it says a hail of bullets lashed at the runaway mig with the american pilot at its controls and then in this panel it says but the man in the cockpit smile and his hand was steady on the stick yeah that theory about him having lost it not sure they were too far off the mark because the way russ draws this guy he doesn't he's not just smiling he looks like he's on a pleasant sunday drive looking for christmas lights that's the most relaxed happy guy and there's bullets ripping on the canopy on both sides of his head (laughs) all around his head like a halo of gunfire and he's just like just like the girl from Ipanema is playing and he's having a blast. That panel just stood out to me as like, yeah, he's he's going to need therapy when he gets back home. But uh, again, this the, the drawings on every single page, every panel are are freaking perfect in this one. I really the only one that I thought was a little harsh was um the final panel where the there's this superimposed like phantom plane across the man's face and Yeah, that kind of takes away from it. I I kind of don't like really like that panel either. That's it. It's the only one that was a little rough. They wanted to have that toy plane and a, yet another shot even though it's right in the previous panel or just have some image. He's already sitting in a plane. I don't need a ghostly plane floating over his face, but you know, I I don't want to criticize Russ Heath too harshly (laughs) so that is um that's our first full-length story and following up on that great framing sequence we we had a heck of a kickoff story so i'm gonna hand you the next one okay well the next one is called human trigger this is reprinted from the second story of star spangled war stories number 18 from february of 1954 so this goes back a little bit Ed Heron writes, Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito do the honors on the art. And the synopsis is a GI, Scotty, crawling across a field, searching for the minefield that's holding up the advance, finds it the really hard way by triggering a mine. Only by continuing to lie on it will it not go off. An artillery exchange begins and no one can hear his screamed warnings to stay away. He struggles out of as much of his gear as he can, scraping rocks toward him to try to replace his weight. How about that? It works! He jumps up to warn the advancing GIs. A nearby enemy machine gun opens up on him, which his buddies blast with rifle grenades. So, again, I like going back and forth between the reprint and the original for the header, just to, just to tell you 
you know, where, where the differences were. Oh yeah. And in, in, in the reprint, again, it's, it's the, it's the floating head of the, of the uh, POW who's all, you know, I'll escape. I must escape. There's a way to escape almost any trap. Take that guy who became a human trigger. Okay. Well, again, you know, you, you're, you're trying to do, you're trying to do the tie-ins and stuff like that. And again, personally, I think what was in the original, you know, blows it away because the original goes the landmine. One of war's deadliest weapons it lurks unseen beneath the ground, waiting for the unwary split-second touch to blow everything around it sky-high with a terrifying blast. These deadly explosives have been detonated by many a strange device, but never by a human trigger. Wow. See, there's a chance for Rod Serling to come in again. <laughs> that would be perfect in his cadence, right? Oh, yeah. The landmine. One of war's deadliest weapons. <laughs> <laughs> Opportunity lost. Oh, well, yep. maybe next time. That's good stuff. But I'll, again, I'll, I'll have to start re- look, you know, looking at the early parts of some of these stories. And go, Could Rod read this? That's what we're going to have to start actually doing that. That's just a good question to ask all the time. How would Rod Serling pronounce this or you know, read this passage? <laughs> well, <you> know, <laughs> anything. The, the title of, of the story, I'm, I'm sorry, I have a little bit of a trouble with it, with human trigger, because a lot of the times landmines, IEDs, booby traps, whatever the hell you want to call them, they're, they're, they're triggered by humans. I mean, people like, you know, trip the wire, you know, flip the switch, do something like that. And yeah, so not. Yeah, but this is like the transitive property of like, he is like, even though you're going to killjoy this in a second the the concept here is that he becomes the trigger that once he moves the bomb's going to go off instead of once he moved the trigger so now it's like and i'm working real hard to make this function (laughs) but um but like he is now he's now part of the mind (laughs) rather than you know the um thing that's going to trigger the mind but go ahead and save me from myself here and killjoy us on the concept that this whole story centers around oh my baby sweet baby jesus uh (laughs) well the way the first panel plays out is they do like a cutaway so you can see the mine underground surrounded by rocks and the three prongs coming up and the soldier is lying on the three prongs well um andrew esposito you know do us the favor of actually drawing a pretty accurate representation of a, uh, of a of a landmine here, it's called a, a bouncing Betty. And when tripped, it bounces quote quote two to three feet out of the ground and explodes. And I did a little research on. It. Apparently, it's just lying on it won't stop it from going off once the device is tripped. It'll just explode anyway. And, and hysterically enough, lying on the ground is actually the best place to be when the mine explodes. All the shrapnel sprays out horizontally. So if he just rolls over, he stands a pretty good chance of being okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. A lot of you guys have, have undoubtedly seen the uh, the movie Big Red One with uh, Lee Marvin and Mark Hamill and everything else. It was like 1981 World War II movie. Real good. And uh, there's a scene where uh, Lee Marvin and the four horsemen, you know, the, 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 the squad that has managed to stay alive from North Africa so far into this port in Sicily. They're sitting on the steps in this blasted town in Sicily. And there's, there's this new guy that's all, you know, trying to ingratiate himself with the, with the old timers. And it's all like, you think, I'll, you think I'm going to get it? It's like, why should you be any different? And they're like, they dump the bucket of water over their heads. Like, here, go get us some more water. So he, he gets up, he runs off to go get some more water. And of course, as soon as he disappears around the corner, blam, and you hear the scream and everything else. Everyone jumps up and goes to see him. And he had tripped a bouncing Betty. And he's all like, oh my God, oh my God. And Lee Marvin's like, oh, don't worry, son. These aren't meant to kill you. They're meant to castrate you. Castrate me? 
It's like, oh, there it is. How about that? I found it. And he throws it away, throws something over his shoulder. He's like, what was that? It's like, that was one of your balls, son. But don't worry. That's why God gave you two. <laughs> no, I did not see that. <laughs> now, was he messing with the guy or was that definitely a piece was, of his anatomy? He actually, you see him throw a little red something over <laughs> his shoulder, you know? Is that the big red one or is yeah, that just big, the small big red, red one? Big no, red. I mean like what oh, he red. threw. Yuck, 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 yuck. Was the ha ha. It, it, it was one of the two. How about that? <laughs> it was a joke, son. Yeah, so, so I just want like the, the scraping of rocks toward him to replace his own weight. Did is it possible to read that now or pass the eighties without thinking of Indiana Jones? Like, yeah, trying, I'll be yeah. honest, you know, the you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's all like, hey, you know, trying to figure out the weight of the idol and everything else like that. Yeah, I won't lie. I was thinking the exact same thing. And it almost never works. You almost never get it right. You know, it's too light or it's too heavy or something. So yeah, so just the whole thing with, with the bouncing bed and everything else like that was kind of you know detracted a lot from the story for me but on the flip side you know i know the art they say the art is done by andrew esposito but man i don't know i mean there's a couple of panels on this thing especially during like the heavy artillery barrages where it's like you know all the wham blam pow pow broom everything else of like the explosions and stuff and the way the guy is drawn screaming and stuff like that it just it screams like the old EC comics, like two-fisted tails at me. It just, it just, I don't know. I just, there's just something about it. It doesn't look like Andrew and Esposito art in a couple of these pages. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but this looks like, you know, Wally Wood or something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed them either. Um, but the, the other thing is I've never seen, I've heard of two-fisted tails and the EC war books, but I've never seen them. And, and if this is what, you know, specifically the artillery scenes with these like big, bold like just gigantic sound effects all over the place just repeated over and over in the air and you know almost to the point where if it was done just the wrong way it would look really cheesy or campy but it doesn't here if that's the kind of style you know that reminds you of these ec war books i need to check some of them out because that's just <laughs> that's crazy it just looks almost underground comics level like you know even like the the last panel of um page three right when these artillery sound effects are just getting going there's the you know the soldier lying on his belly the human trigger yelling to his people and being drowned out and he's saying hey guys you're headed toward a minefield now i did snicker a little bit because i saw the way his face was portrayed and i just thought hey you guys you know that that like I, i'm not even sure what what that's from anymore other than the goonies but you know the the goonies Blade got it from, yeah the goonies got it from somewhere else yeah. but um yeah that's but yeah the, the panel right after that one it's the same thing, you know, yeah. blam, 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 you know, and, you know, his, his screams are much, much smaller words, you know, surrounded by the bigger words of the explosion. So you even get the idea that his shouts are being drowned out by the, by the, by the explosions of the artillery exchange. Yeah, it's just great just visual. It's a, it's a, all, all these, you know, the, the artillery panels and stuff like that, you know, carry really well. I, I, those are, those are probably my favorite, like three or four panels of, of this whole, of the whole story are those panels right there. Oh, easily. I mean, that's great visual storytelling like you said with the the shrinking lettering of his own cries and the words aren't even anywhere near his face in that panel you're talking about like it it just looks like he's yelling and there's nothing coming out of his mouth and you have to notice that his dialogue's up there lost so it's just it's it's another great move mechanically on how to tell a story in a comic book that you don't you can't do anywhere else 
So that was definitely cool. Even though the story is complete nonsense, if you know anything about landmines, which I didn't, so I was buying into it. Well, I, I recognized, like I said, I recognized the fact that it was a bouncing Betty, although they don't, they didn't call it and they never implied that's what it was. You know, they just, it was just a landmine. But I, I just, I did the way I was, the way it's drawn, I'm like, that looks like a bouncing Betty, you know, or German, you know, S mine or something like that. So I, I went online and I looked, I'm like, yep, that's exactly what it is. I'm like, so, okay, actually this guy has a whole different set of problems. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you don't know what kind of landmine you're you're lying on. No, nah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so it was a fun story. It had some really cool art moments in it, and um, I, I normally I would alternate and take the next thing, but but we got Sam Glansman in the house, so. I'm always going to let you have a Glansman piece to talk about so you can carry us to the next really, really cool feature in this book. Okay, well, the next one, it's called Tabletop Dioramas, Infantry, Queen of Battle. And it's uh, two pages of Sam Glansman art. And the whole idea is you cut out these 3D-ish dioramas and you mount them on cardboard. And it's, it's an interesting concept. And I like the art and everything because, you know, hey, it's Sam Glansman. But I'm, I'm I'm not a fan. I mean, because it would involve you know cutting up my comic book. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm well, not. Well, you got to buy two copies, man. I'm not about that, you know. And it's I don't know. It's like it's it's just. I, I, I get the concept, but I'm not a fan of it. I mean, it's, it's funny about a, about two pages before this, there was a third of a page ad, you know, earlier in the book that says erupting into three dimension, put them together yourself. And it's, you know, soldiers and submarines and airplanes lunging off the pages of a comic book, you know, starting in all of DC's battle mags, tabletop diorama series. Uh... Yeah. I wonder how many they actually made. <laughs> Because the effect is kind of underwhelming, even when I imagine cutting this out and bending it. I could I could see like if you were a kid and you're like, you know, the way Glansman drew the scene of these soldiers running away from a giant explosion behind them on a, on a hill. I can see how curving that and laying down on your bed or on the floor when you're a kid and looking at it, it's going to look a little 3D. Like as a flat illustration, it looks kind of sparse, but it's like Glansman knows what's going to be done with it. So he makes a scene that has a lot of surface area. So curving it is going to have an effect. So I can see the effort there. I like the drawing on the second page of it a lot better um, of the soldier who's got like dotted lines all around his body running in a much more close up image. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're supposed to, uh, on that one, you're supposed to cut out all of the white space, you know, so that, so what you cut out will be the exploding scene and the three soldiers behind him when this thing is popped into place properly. Now, I don't know, maybe if I feel really rambunctious, maybe I should just run off color copy this stuff and, and try to put it on cardboard and actually see what the hell it looks like. <laughs> Ooh, I think that sounds like that sounds like homework. That sounds like homework and a good idea for you to do. You do that, Rich. I'll watch. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I dug was, um, like you said, that, that this is called Infantry, Queen of Battle. And they have a little text piece above, above the soldier on that second page, and it says, the appellation of queen is no derogatory term for the foot soldier. It's like they had to be, they had to be clear. We're not calling them queens. Not like that. But this is a chess thing, you know, because the queen can move into any position and defeat any enemy. So I just thought it was funny to look back on a book from the early 70s where they had to make sure you knew they weren't calling these soldiers sissies when they called them queens. And it's like, just, you know, when you're reading old comics, 
it, it's funny how the times rear their heads and um, you know maybe it wouldn't be too different today but uh, certainly um, it wouldn't need so much like you know explanation well it's it's it, they call infantry queen of battle I, I went to basic at, at Fort Sill which was it's which is the artillery school and artillery is often called the king of battle so they're, they're they so artillery is the king of battle so infantry is the queen of battle so I I don't know what's what what what's the crown prince of battle? I mean, <laughs> is it is it armor or something? <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, yeah, the, I, I should I should try to look into sometime. The, you know, the Duke and Duchess of minor skirmishes. I've never understood royalty. So we got that, and uh, Rich is definitely going to uh, to cut that out. And um, we'll have pictures up somewhere. It's totally going to happen. <laughs> and after we get past the tabletop dioramas and our eyes adjust from the stunning 3D effect of it all, we move on to the next full 2D story in this book. It's called Face a Firing Squad. Now, you've noted in the script here, this is one of a few DC War books you don't have. Yeah, right. um, I'm up to the point where I, I, I said this in, in our intro episode that I'm, I'm only have about four dozen like of the old dc war books that i don't have and amazingly this is this comes from one of them it comes from uh, star spangled war stories 14 from october 1953 so we're, we're really starting to get into the way back machine you know for for this one this this was originally uh, entitled i faced a firing squad so again, I don't know why they feel the need to play games with titles and and, and the like. So, but I don't have anything to compare. You know, the I, I don't have the original to compare the the uh, the lead in to. Well, they they changed the title here just for grammar because like we've got the floating head of our prisoner of war from the framing sequence, and he says, "I know it looks bad for me. I'm about to be hung, just like the story I'd heard of a GI who had to face a firing squad." So they just chopped it to fit his hackneyed framing sense or framing sequence lead-in sentence. So at least this time there was some functional reason, kind of, for them to mangle the title. <laughs> so I'll hit, we'll um, go with that. We'll go with that. I'll hit the synopsis on this one. We have an American soldier uh, is facing a Nazi firing squad in occupied France. He demands to give the order to fire himself. Then he flashes back to how he ended up like this, parachuted behind enemy lines in order to swap places with an escaped nuclear scientist. The switch is made and he is captured. Flashback over, the soldier keeps delaying, giving the order to fire in various ways until 6.01 when the American follow-up operation commences, dropping bombs all over the Nazi base and allowing the soldier and the rest of the prisoners to escape. That It's, you know, a bit of a tighter story and uh, I was left wondering why they just did didn't shoot the guy when he was obviously buying time, but um, we have more to uh, shoot holes in, so to speak, with a little killjoy on this one. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm sorry, I, I wasn't a fan of this story. I mean, it just it just bothered me. I didn't I wasn't a fan of the art. I wasn't a fan of the story. The whole thing was just kind of like, eh. it just it, it didn't do a dang thing for me. But yeah, the the, the killjoy was here. There's two. You know, on, on the second page, he, he uh, the spy bails out of a DC-6 over Europe to commence the operation. Okay, well, A, it wouldn't have been called the DC-6 military service. It would have been called the C-118 liftmaster. B, the plane wasn't built until 1946. And C, he calls it a bomber. It's not a bomber. It's a cargo plane. But other than that... <laughs> Damn, Ed Heron, you're not off to a good start here. But, <laughs> like, come on. 
and to and you know it's you know art is subjective and this is this is early carmine infantino i'm a huge carmine fan but there's only a couple spots where i could see the style that i came to love coming out and um one of those spots is featured in our commendations which we kind of we kind of have the same one so i'll let you lead off on that <laughs> the um the, the nazi commander holy bad guy batman Blonde, crew-cutted, sunglasses-wearing at all times, scarf-sporting Nazi commander. Yeah, he is fantastic. Where's James Bond? I mean... (laughs) He really does come off as a Bond villain, and that's where I... Yeah, it's... That's where the first glimpse I get of it being a Carmine Infantino piece of work is the utter stylishness and completely out of place stylishness of this bad guy. Like he was just aching to draw something a little more crazy, you know, and, and, and just a little more visually iconic. And he went for it with this guy. Like he's got the cigarette, you know, he's got, like you said, shades, the white scarf with a black shirt when he's inside. And then um, he's, he's, he's got the cigarette in the cigarette holder. Of course he does. <laughs> a la FDR. You know, it's like, geez. The only time he's not wearing sunglasses is when this guy punches him in the face. <laughs> and, I, and I did have some, some, some good stuff to say about Carmine's art anyway, besides that. Um, you know, like I said, this is kind of early and kind of rough, but the third page of this story has eight panels on it, and it still doesn't feel cramped when you read it. These drawings get pretty small on an eight-panel page with all these words they pack in there, but he manages to do a good job visually telling the story, and and the last of those panels is the first appearance of Captain Scarfs a lot, <laughs> and um, so it's, you know, all pays off in the end anyway, but I'll also say the last page of the story, the uh, second and third panel, when our captured soldier is actually thrown down with the commander and knocks his sunglasses off and hits him with his own gun, that fight scene such that it is a two panel fight scene. That's where you can see some of Infantino's dynamism coming across from the draping of the coats to just the dynamic poses. That's where I went, aha, that's definitely early Carmine. So yeah, I agree with you. The, the story itself is, is pretty bad. I, I had to hold on to find some glimmers though, even though the commander is a, a pretty good one to hang on to. I needed something more and I found it. No, the story itself, I was just like, they should have shot this guy 17 times. By <laughs> Given that, man, I will let you do uh, the, the next one to, to wash the taste out of your mouth. <laughs> okay. Well, the next one, it's called Medal of Honor. Corporal Jerry Kisters, and it is um, the story of Sergeant Jerry Kisters earning Medal of Honor in Sicily by making assaults on two enemy machine gun nests. Uh, Capturing the first, he made a solo assault on the second nest and continued to do so successfully, even even after being hit in the leg six times by enemy fire and was wounded in the arm, engaging a sniper. Uh, As a bit of a personal note, uh, Kisters died in 1986 in Indiana, age 67. He was the first soldier in World War II to earn both the Medal of Honor and the Distinguished Service Cross. Uh, I looked up the actual Medal of Honor citation, and it tells a slightly different story than the comic does. It does things in, 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 in different order as far as... So- as far as, you know, 
how often he got wounded and, and what he did and what he didn't do and everything else like that. Yeah, it's close enough. I'm not going to dive into, you know, by, you know, reading the actual citation here. But so uh, that's not the killjoy part that you have? No, the killjoy was, I don't get this. I didn't get this. I still don't get this. Okay, in the, in the, the story starts off, he's called Corporal Jerry Kisters, okay? In the story, the, like, he's promoted to staff sergeant, skipping a rank for heroism in North Africa. He's shipped out to Sicily, but he's wearing sergeant rank the whole story where he earns the Medal of Honor. So shouldn't the story be called Sergeant Kisters? At least. Unforgivable. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously confused. I don't, I don't understand. You know, I mean, but, but, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Norman Maurer is just not, or Maurer, however we say his name here, um, is just not, earning all kinds of points for accuracy even though i was surprised that this was a story about a real person yeah, yeah i was i was kind of surprised to find that i was like oh, oh cool i mean the art the art is good i don't i don't mind the art at all i mean the, the art is definitely respectable i mean i but it's it's just i, I just wish they had been you know whoever was in charge of figuring out whatever the hell this guy's rank was just st- picking one and sticking to it you know i, I just I, I i don't i don't get it you know yeah i mean my thing with the story was, you know, even though this turns out to be about a real person, I'm reading it, and he came off the way the story's written and paced as more of a dangerous kook than a hero to me. He just kept going, I'm invincible because I think I am. And he charges into danger like Leroy Jenkins all the way. I'm like, immune. I'm yeah. immune. And then I'm he gets immune. shot in the leg six times. <laughs> You're not immune. You're not immune. <laughs> I was just like, this guy to me seemed like a danger to his fellow troopers, you know? But yeah, lo and behold, he was a real person that earned the Medal of Honor. So I'm like, well, time compression in a short comic book story makes him seem a bit crazy because all this stuff happens happens one after the other like bam 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 so i could let that slide but reading it i just thought this guy was a dangerous maniac more than someone who should earn a medal for anything well the the logo you know for for medal of honor it's 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 jet it's very similar to the logo for weird war okay because because you know oh, yeah. the words metal and honor are filled with just you know combatants of you know the rough riders the civil war world war one you know world war two just all kinds of really quick you know stick figure sketches of various wars various scenes machine guns mortars artillery blah 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 hand-to-hand combat yeah they're even more detailed than stick figures they're they're like pretty illustrative figures yeah but like but they're tiny is the thing like he fit a lot of detail into these into these you know floating letters that spell out medal of honor and and yet they're all still something you can make sense out of like so the first page is the whole thing is just awesome from that logo to the two giant panels and the incredibly happy face at the bottom of corporal jerry kisters like there's this chaos going on above him and (laughs) and kind of presaging what he's going to act like in the rest of the story he looks pleased as punch to be there I'm a disembodied floating head. <laughs> it's just great. I mean, that's the art and the rest of the story is, is pretty darn good too. Um, but for me, that first page is just like, you got, you got it, man. I don't care what else is wrong with this story. You, you earned your paycheck right there. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to go off on a, on a quick little side rant real quick. I'll, I'll give, I give the powers that be that did the story credit because they didn't fall down that rabbit hole. But one of the things that, that irritates me about the Medal of Honor 
is when people call it the Congressional Medal of Honor. There is no such thing. It is the Medal of Honor. The Medal of Honor is awarded in the name of Congress. And so any, anytime you see Congressional Medal of Honor, they're, they're, it's, it's the wrong thing. You know, it's, someone once said it's like, it's like calling the, uh, the, the Victoria Cross, Great Britain's Victoria Cross, the Parliamentary Victoria Cross. It's, it's an extra word. It makes it sound more important. That's, Damn, politicians, that's what, man. That's not what it's called. Politicians <laughs> just trying to get their name on something so they can act like, you know, they're associated with, with a thing, like they did something. So, you know, they, they got to take their chances to suck up credit where they can. So that's, that's just one of those little things that irritates me, you know. But so speaking of politicians, that? our next story <laughs> is called, it's called Slave. <laughs> and this is an original in this book. So we're, we're out of reprint territory here. This is written by Will Franz, who I'm not super familiar with, but with art, again, by a guy that I think we've mentioned a couple of times uh, named Russ, Russell Heath. Yeah, Russ Heath. Uh, yeah, that guy. You should do some research, find out who he is. I'll, the synopsis for Slave, um, and there's a reason I'm saying that I'm calling out the title like that, but I'll get to it. The synopsis is, a Roman slave working the mines nurses an injured hawk back to health as he dreams of his own freedom. When the hawk is discovered by the guards, one of the guards starts beating him. The hawk attacks the guard, which enrages said guard. The slave grabs a sledgehammer and kills the guard with it, sealing his own fate. The other slaves later see the hawk flying free, and they know there is an escape from this place. As the hawk stops to visit his friend, who is now crucified under a burning sun. So, yeah, there's an escape if you have wings. But the guy that nursed the hawk back to health isn't going to do so well. At least the hawk doesn't stop to, you know, have lunch. Yeah, pick out his eyes for for energy. So, um, yeah, as I said, there's a reason I said the title. I'm a, we don't have a killjoy on this one because Rich is not an expert on ancient Roman, Roman tactics yeah. and, and and equipment and history. So thank goodness for that. But um, I'll jump into my commendation. It's the splash panel with the title. The thing is amazing. Again, it's it's Russ Heath. It's not even that big a panel. It's like, you know, if you took three regular panels on the bottom row and dedicated them to this, there you have it. But the words slave look like they're carved out of stone standing in the background while this, you know, this row of chained together slaves is led across the, the desert and the sun is red and high in the sky in the background. And so there's these shadows coming off the, the letters into the foreground. It just looks like a title shot from a movie or something. And my favorite little touch is that slave is in quotation marks, which are also carved out of stone and balanced on the tops of these giant letters so that i mean it's it's russ heath every panel in this thing is great but that one just stands out and just just hits you right in the face speaking of getting hit right in the face um (laughs) my my favorite panel is is the one right after the uh the slave grabs the sledgehammer and goes after the guard you know it's, it's the bottom panel on page five you know the guard is laying dead on the ground and he's he's got there's a stove-in helmet laying on the ground next to the guy's head and i don't know if it's by accident or but or by design but the way russ heath drew the guard's hair it kind of looks like that that you know his skull has a little might have a little bit of a sledgehammer dent in it <laughs> yeah he so. definitely got away with something there and it's, <laughs> it's fantastic because you have to put the visual clues together of the way that helmet is bent in and then the slight strange effect that's 
worked into how the hair is drawn. Like, if you can put it together, you're like, oh, that's that's not a trick of the light. I don't think he's getting up. <laughs> nope. But, yeah, I mean, just... Again, Ross Heath just freaking owns this thing. There's this one panel where the guard, you know, just hits the slave across the face with like a whip or a cat of nine tails or something like that. And just the fury on the guard's face and the pain-anger combination on the slave's face. It's just, man. I mean, just, it, again, we, you know, we, we, we have, you know, these, these fanboy parties for Ross Heath all the time. But, man, it, it's well-earned. It's mean, deserved. The next panel after the one you're talking about is the hawk swooping in to defend his buddy and the look of terror on that guard's face is fantastic and the hawk looks severely pissed without being too like anthropomorphized or anything it's just like that is one angry bird and in the panel after that the the guard is still trying to attack the slave but he's holding the side of his face that obviously got a set of claws in it it's everything this guy does everything russ heath does is a master class on how to properly tell a story in a comic book and 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 the last three panels of the story you know when when the slave is you know crucified under the burning sun again the way the angle of the sun the, the way you know the, the way the shadows fall they you know the they you know the hawk kind of leaning over him looking down on him and he's kind of the slave is kind of looking up at the hawk and then everything else again it's it's just bravo i mean <laughs> it's, it's it's so well done it's yeah really if nothing else people listening to this show uh get out and find Anything you can, illustrated by Russ Heath or Sam Glansman, for that matter. Or Joe Cooper. Um, but yeah, but you know, since we're talking about a Russ Heath story here, really, you don't hear his name often enough these days, and it, it deserves to be spoken every time someone mentions good comic book art. So get on that, DC, whoever. More collections of Russ Heath stuff, please. And in the meantime, we're going to move on to the end of our framing sequence and the end of the story content for the issue. So take it away. Hey, this was called This Is It. This is the wrap of the framing sequence. And as the synopsis is the condemned soldier is brought to the gallows. But as he stands on the trapdoor, he kicks the release lever out before the noose can be fitted over his neck. He drops to the ground, runs through a culvert, and into the woods for freedom. But the story ends with the German colonel coming to the gallows to see the American actually dangling from the end of the rope. And he comments, perhaps he has made the final escape from this hellish war. And then it says the end, and the end has a question mark looping through uh, through the words, which I thought was was a pretty neat touch. And I'm going to, you know, again, just lunge right into the killjoy was here. So I'm pretty sure he couldn't have gotten that leg tucked back to complete falling through the trap door after he tripped triggers the, uh, the trap <laughs> that is probably the one awkward drawing that alex toth ever put down on paper it doesn't even look feasible you, you look at the, the panel you're like no freaking way <laughs> yeah i mean i don't care if you're jackie chan man you're not whipping that leg around that fast you're not getting it back in time to fall through the trap door it's it's it's, it's not happening nah. so but, everyone has everyone has a soft moment you know where they where they drop the ball a little bit and he, he at least fumbled it on that panel you know the combinations i mean there's the great there's a good panel of the soldier escaping down a culvert you know it's all shadows you you just see like you know the silhouette of him at the end of a tunnel with like you know daylight you know surrounding him and uh, the 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 panel that they have with the dangling feet when he when he's dangling from the end of the noose you know, is, is 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 pretty powerful also I, those are those are my, my my two favorite panels from yeah I mean I have to echo that that's again a show of like Toth's design skills like he doesn't need a lot of lines the panel can be mostly black 
and it's going to stand out. Those are the two best story panels in these two pages. And there's almost no, um, no line work in them. It's just he knows how to use the elements like of, of, of just silhouettes and a, you know, very little actual drawing in the panel. So you got that. And then like you mentioned it in the, in the synopsis. My, my other thing to call out is that stylized question mark and lettering for the end. It's just, again, it's a mark of his simple but striking sense of design. It's, it's just, he didn't have to make it that cool looking. He just couldn't help himself. You know, so you got the guy who, who yeah, again, and this story to me was sufficiently weird. This is edging more into what I remember in Weird War Tales where you see this man successfully escape and we follow him to freedom. And then you pan back and find out, I don't know what you're watching, but this guy's dead. <laughs> So that was cool. And in two pages, too, you get all that. Even if you had to get there with Toth going, okay, the script tells me he does what? I don't know. Maybe his leg's made of rubber. Moving on. Next. After that, um, we get to the letters page. We get to the APO, Army Post Office. Is that it? Yep. Weird, uh, the APO for Weird War Tales. And uh, again, there's a lot of great stuff in here and Joe Kubert having fun with the responses and I'll let you pick out yours first. Yeah, there was, uh, let's see here, there's what, five letters I think on here. And again, like like what you just said, you know, he, you know, he, he, he has fun with, uh, with some of these guys. The last letter the guy asks has five questions slash comments about war comics or why is it always Americans or... You know, the percentage of the time the American wins or blah, blah, blah. But uh, one of the, the question, question slash statement number four in this one letter is uh, nearly all the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and nurses looked like they just stepped out of some beauty contest. And then, you know, because Joe answered all the, you know, one, two, three, four. He answered the same, he answered the, the, the letter the same way. And he answered at number four, they did. <laughs> so his, his joke was, yeah, they did just come out of a beauty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good eye. <laughs> Yes, thank you very much. And there's there's another letter, you know, where the guy is just ranting and raving about, you know, what, what a great comic it is and stuff like that. And uh, Joe comments, it's like, Dear Maria, I duplicated your letter given copies to all those involved in lieu of a brazen pay. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Love it. Yeah, I mean... The- <laughs> It's just, it's a, it's a good one. Like, again, you know, Joe really just tees off on that final letter from L. Bow in Canada. And, um, you know, his fifth complaint is, why have war stories at all? There is enough in the papers today without you people adding to it. And Joe's response is, because apparently many people, including yourself, want to read them. Like, how are you writing into this book if you don't want to read about war? It's like, oh, fandom, never change, because in 50 years, you apparently haven't. It's just more of the same. Like, these people can't be pleased. He spent his money, wrote in, and said, why does this book even exist? It's like, okay, yeah, fine. Thanks for your money. And one thing I'll point out is the story from the issue they're all writing in about, um, the story Monsieur Gravedigger was commented on by almost everyone who wrote in. So I wasn't the only person who was haunted by that very strangely difficult but compelling story. I was so glad to see that that just people had to bring that up throughout the entire letters column. So I feel a little bit vindicated there. Yeah, the one that had so that was uh, had so many word balloons, it was crushing out the art in a lot of the panels. Yeah, and I, I, I kept going back and forth on that story like, God, I can't stand this. And then I was fascinated with it and then I couldn't stop talking about it. I think I went on for like 20 minutes in that episode. 
and I'm talking about it again. So it's, it's well, you, can, you, you can fault the letters page on, on, you know, this time. So. Yeah. They, they brought it back for me. So before I dive down that rabbit hole again and join the French foreign legion, um, <laughs> we'll move on to a few spotlighted ads uh, as we always do when we're done with the story content. And again, I'll let you lead it off. And well, in the funny how the world works uh, moment, the page that has the, the ad that I'm going to make fun of has a copy of the exact same uh, masking liner ad that I was mocking last month, last last episode. It is eternal. <laughs> you know, the, the blonde with the, uh, with, with the uh, black Van Dyke and everything, which is just hysterical. I, I could do that ad all over again, but I won't. But uh, there's a, the lower left-hand corner. It says, cartoon for money. Learn from experts how easy it is to make big money at home with easy-to-draw cartoons at 25 cents for postage and handling. Success, Department 48, free book. And, you know, there's a little you know, drawing of a head with this, you know, look on his face and he's surrounded by dollar bills and everything else like that. And, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, just talk to any artist, you know, how, how much money that they make. <laughs> See, you're not thinking literally enough. They're talking about making big money with your artistic skills, like drawing an oversized check. Counterfeit. You know? yeah, making, <laughs> making a giant cartoonish, like, beach towel-sized dollar bill. Because now you know how to draw things, and you can sit there and imagine that's real. You know, like the job of price is right. Yeah, man. Like the, the you know the way to make big money uh, from cartooning at home is to get a bunch of fools to send you twenty five cents for a free book with some bad drawings in it. Like that's the secret right there. That's, that's a great find. I, I love little scams like that. And again, I wish like people had sent away for that. So maybe someone out there has scanned the book that they got when they sent their quarter in for, for this, uh, you know, fascinating offer. And now they're, now they're a multimillionaire. They own a mansion and a yacht, but um, my, my, I, I couldn't resist for my ad. Of course, there is an ad in this book. For I a little... this one. Yeah, of course. Like <laughs> you just knew, and we're going to throw a bonus one in because I'm, I'm just such a mark for Jack Kirby. And there's a house ad in here for a portfolio that was uh, offered for sale back in 19, like uh, 19, 1970, 71, whenever these books came out called Kirby unleashed. And it's, it's like, yeah, a half page ad and you know it says now for the first time from dc don't delay send today it's assembled from jack kirby's personal collection supersized pages of comic history six color paintings giant size full color wraparound cover painting 14 by 22 now i knew about this thing obviously because i'm a jack kirby fiend and today when we're getting ready for the episode, I made sure to go to tomorrows.com and download the digital copy of the reproduction of this and just flip through it. It's like 60 pages of great Kirby art from, at that point, stages in his entire career, including these six color paintings that were from the portfolio that largely became the basis for his new God's work. So, and there's tons of text in there about, about Kirby's career and his impact on comics, just a lot of history in there, a lot of personal sketches. It's, it's freaking amazing. So this is one of those things like that isn't overhyped, you know, compared to, you know, send me, give me a quarter and I'll send you this cartoon book and, you know, maybe, and you'll never hear from 
us again. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, this is the opposite of that. You're going to send in, what were they asking for? Like four bucks for this thing, which yeah, it's kind of steep when you, when you think about it for back then, maybe, but what you're getting, this is the real deal. This is, this thing is fantastic. Like I said, I just have a PDF of this because they don't even have their printing of it available anymore, or I'd physically have it. So this thing, like I said, go to tomorrows.com. That's, you know, TWO Morrows. They're the people who publish Back Issue Magazine. You can get a PDF of this for for really cheap and it is so worth it if you like Jack Kirby at all. Um, so that's that's my rant and rave about that. I'll let you, uh, uh, to make up for people having to go through my, my Jack Kirby sermon, talk about one of the ads that I was very tempted to do if it wasn't for Kirby because goddamn, I forgot this existed. We have, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we uh, well, we were making fun of uh, Atlas last episode, and where else can you go after talking about Atlas but to go after Arnold? Because there's a full page ad, you know, at the very end of the ma- magazine, just just inside uh, the back cover of weightlifter, twenty some odd year old, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, making a muscle with one arm and holding up the two-piece bikini wearing girl holding up a magazine and with the other arm with the whole, I put two, four inches on my arms, three inches on my chest, trimmed four inches off my waist in just seven weeks. Why not you? And it's just interesting seeing, you know, Arnold looking, you know, this young. It, it, just, it just is. You know, the strongest, most var- virile and admired men are built by the wider system, whatever the Joe Weider, wider personal trainer system is. Yeah, I think it's Joe Weider, but it would be funny if it was wider just because this is all about bodybuilding. Like, it's almost impossible to to look at that word balloon that they have coming out of Arnold's face and not read it in his accent. You know? I put two full inches on my arm. <laughs> yeah. Especially at the end, like, you know, from the SNL, that now classic old SNL gig where they were sort of parodying Arnold when he says, why not you? You know, what's wrong with you, girly man? You know, it, it's it, it's just like Joe Weider, you, you have to like sort of drill into this ad to even see the guy's name because they're like, hey, it, Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't really anybody yet, but they know. <laughs> He's a bigger deal than that Joe was, Weider. That was the interesting thing because when I, I this this comics is from 1972, and you know, so you get to the end of the comic, and here's you know Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm like, wow, really? I mean, 1972, he, he was doing this stuff all the way back then, and and you look at underneath the big word balloon, and it says, you know, it says movie and TV star Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Universe winner. He believes you too can easily duplicate the muscle building success, blah, 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 blah. And like he was in movies and TV shows. He did that thing called pumping iron that was what catapulted him, you know, into the public eye. So he was at least in this film called Pumping Iron that made a big deal about him. So that that probably had come out at this point and people were probably talking about him because from what I've heard that movie did make a big impact and you know not just got him noticed but a lot of people at the time were at least talking about it so that obviously got him an ad gig here I, I still dig the line you read at the bottom of the ad where it says the strongest and most virile and admired men. So he's not just promising. He's making a whole lot of promises down at the <laughs> bottom there that I'm not sure a, a muscle building ad can take care of, but you know, that hasn't stopped anyone from trying to compensate with weight sense. So, you know, that's eternal, I guess. But, uh, you know, like I said, to, to make up for the fact that I just had to run, uh, you know, full speed at the Jack Kirby ad, we can't ignore the fact that 1972 Arnold Schwarzenegger is in this comic book. And, you know, get if, if, if you can get a hold of a copy of this, 
uh, book, people. It's it's chock full of good stuff. Like at the ads in this, we could make another two hour episode going off all the stuff in here. It, it it's a fantastic issue to begin with, even though at least one of the stories was kind of a dud. The rest of it is fantastic, and I'm looking forward to seeing now that we're we're getting out of the heavy reprint territory and we've had our first framing sequence that isn't a Joe Kubert story and it was good. I'm looking forward to seeing how many more changes are coming as we plow on uh, to you know what the later issues here so i don't know if you've peeked ahead but i have not oh yeah 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 i got uh d uh weird war number six right here i just i just dug it out of my uh my long box right before we started recording and uh yes actually the framing sequence for next episode will be done by alex toth and bob haney again right so, on all right well with that next month if nothing else next <laughs> next episode of <laughs> fantastic um so before we spoil too much <laughs> you know give it all away we will bring this episode to a close and until next time make war no more